Psalm 139, let's stand as we read the Word of God, Psalm 139 and verse number 1. David says, O Lord, Thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my downsetting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Now look at 1 Corinthians chapter number 13 and verse number 12. Where Paul says, for now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but watch this, he says, then shall I know, even as also I am known. What I want to talk to you about this morning is a healthy self-awareness. Let's ask the Lord to bless our time together. Father, in Jesus' name we come before you and we thank you, Lord, for all that we have heard and experienced thus far today. Lord, uh, the teaching that went out in each Sunday school class, the congregational singing, uh, the special music, uh, Lord, the uh, speech that Sister Robin gave about the history of our great nation. And Lord, we've heard and experienced some wonderful things already, and we just give you the glory and the praise but Lord, as we open up the Word of God and as we consider this topic of self-awareness, Lord, we ask that you would help us to bring the truth of your Word to be a help to each and every one that has come here today. Lord, the topic is often considered a psychology topic, but Lord, it's not. It's human nature. It's something that every one of us deal with each and every day of our lives. Lord, uh, you have overwhelmed me with truths as I've studied and prepared for this, and I'm asking you to help me to stay on track, help me to do a good job communicating your word clearly, and we trust that the Holy Spirit of God will help us to make application. As always, Lord, uh, the people that have come here today, the people listening on live stream, we don't know the needs of their heart. If anyone be lost without Jesus Christ, God, would you speak to their heart and draw them to you? Use the truth of your word uh, to, to touch hearts and to honor and glorify your name. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. A healthy self-awareness. Uh, what exactly is self-awareness? I find that really there's no absolute definition. You can certainly do a search on that. And as I was praying, I... I mentioned to the Lord that uh, this is typically understood as a philosophical or a psychological topic. Basically, self-awareness is the conscious knowledge of one's own character and identity. It is the recognition of our feelings, our motives, our desires, and the ability to understand our thoughts, behaviors, and feelings. It is also connected to our understanding of how others perceive us. I think that you can understand that self-awareness, we all have to deal with it, and it's something that's very, very real to every human being. Furthermore, self-awareness can be defined as the ability to focus on yourself and how your actions, thoughts, and emotions do or don't align with your internal standards, your own personal values. I don't know about you, but often I find myself violating my own personal standards. I don't live up to my own expectations of myself. 
when you think about internal standards, it's like, what, what are you talking about? I have a standard for myself? Well, yes, I do, and so do you. And herein lies much of our problem. Internal standards are also what we end up expecting of others, which reflects what we expect of ourselves. The expectations are the culmination often of our childhood influences, our experience, things such as home, family, church, school, our successes, our failures, our traumas and our triumphs. All of these mold our expectations and our internal standards. Now I want to start out this message with this question. And I think it's a very important question. Does God know you better than you know you? I think we know the answer, but we don't necessarily live according to the answer. I know the answer. God knows me better than I know myself. I just read David certainly understood that God knew his thoughts afar off. He, he knows our downsetting and our uprising uh, we read there in 1 Corinthians 13 that one of these days when we get a glorified body, we shall know even as also we are known. I have four characters here that I want to just uh, take a quick look at, and it's just a quick look. And we're going to see some examples that the answer truly is that God does know us better than we know us. Go to Genesis chapter number 32 with me, Genesis 32. Got several different passages that we're going to turn to and look at. In Genesis 32, we find a very interesting character. I've yet to find anyone that would say that this is my Bible hero. Most people would say, oh, my hero is David who killed Goliath. My hero is John the Baptist, or my hero is Daniel who survived the lion's den, or Joseph who made it through so many troubles and trials and, and uh, uh, injustices, and he came forth and he triumphed. And we all have our favorite heroes in the Bible. Seldom does anyone say, Jacob was my favorite. Jacob's an interesting character. Jacob is the kind of guy that God saw some value in, some extreme value. He had a, he had a passion for God's blessings, but he seldom went about it the right way. And of course, God knew that, and Jacob ended up suffering the consequences of trying to short-circuit God's plan for his life. But Jacob was the guy that probably, if he was your neighbor, you probably wanted to kind of keep your eye open there. He was called supplanter. He was a conniver. He was a manipulator. In Genesis 32, in verse number 9... And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, the Lord which sayest unto me, return unto thy country and to thy kindred and I will deal well with thee. Notice what Jacob says. He says, I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which thou hast showed unto thy servant. That's a good statement. That's a true statement. Jacob wanted the blessings of God years ago, and he was willing to do anything to get it. Why? Because he thought he was worthy of the blessings of God. Well, something had changed in Jacob's heart and mind. 
And he says in verse number 11, deliver me, I pray thee, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau. Esau is the one that he stole the blessing from, or stole the birthright from, and then connived the blessing from him. And he knew that Esau wanted to kill him. He said, for I fear him, lest he will come and smite me and the mother with the children. Not only me, but also my family. Now skip down to verse number 24. And Jacob was left alone, and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. When he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh. The hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. And he said unto him, this is God speaking to Jacob, what is thy name? You know, that's an interesting question because the last time we have a record of Jacob's name being asked, what did he say? He said, I'm Esau, your firstborn. He lied about it. He deceived his father in order to get his brother's blessing. God asked him, what's your name? And he said, I'm Jacob. Verse 28, and he said, thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel, for as a prince hast thou power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. Notice that God sees and knows Jacob even better than Jacob knows Jacob. Go to Exodus chapter number four with me. We'll see another example. Now Moses is a man that certainly would qualify to be someone's Bible hero. Moses was a great man of God, a deliverer of the people. Uh, Arguably, he led the greatest number of people, and he led them as a shepherd would lead a flock. He wasn't a king. He had no military power or might. He just had what we all need. He had God on him. And it says in Exodus chapter number 4, as God is calling uh, Moses, in verse number 10, it says, Moses said unto the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither heretofore nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. Moses is saying, look, even before I met you on Mount Sinai, even before I saw the burning bush, even before you gave me this rod that I threw it down and it became a serpent, even before that I wasn't eloquent. I'm slow of speech. And after all that you've done, it hasn't changed my speaking ability. Verse number 12, or verse 11, and the Lord said unto him, Who hath made man's mouth, or who maketh the dumb, or deaf, or the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? And we could certainly go more into the psychology here of Moses, but the fact of the matter is, Moses' self awareness was not inaccurate, but the problem was, is he was thinking about himself, he was being self conscious rather than then God conscious. Go to Judges chapter number six. Judges chapter number six. We find another character in the Bible by the name of Gideon, a man whose self-awareness was very different than the way that God perceived him to be. In Judges chapter number six and verse number 11, it says, there came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak which was in Ophrah, that pertained unto Joash, the Abiezrite, 
And his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. The Midianites were the enemy. And any time that the children of Israel grew a crop and then tried to make grain out of it, they would just come and they would just take it away. And so he's hiding in order to have some grain in the, the pantry so they could make bread. In verse 12, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. Gideon wasn't a soldier. Gideon wasn't even a cop. He was just out there threshing wheat. And the Lord says, God's with you, you mighty man of valor. And Gideon said in verse 13, O oh my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then has all this befallen us? And where be all his miracles which our fathers told us of, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Everything that Gideon is saying is true. But it doesn't mean that he's got an accurate perception of God or himself. Verse 14, And the Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this thy might. You know, Gideon's, Gideon's complaining about what's going on. If God's with us, why is all this going on? And the Lord says, this is your strength. This is your might. You could say Gideon had kind of a bad attitude, but he had a bad attitude because uh, he recognized how things were supposed to be in comparison to the way that things are. You know, we could use some of that strength today. We could use some of that kind of a bad attitude where we're not content with the way that things are and we're willing to be used of God in order to actually do something about it. Verse 16, and the Lord said unto him, surely I will be with thee, and thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man. I think it's clear to see that God had a greater perception of who Gideon really was than what Gideon had himself. And then the final one that I want to show you, there's many more in the Bible that we could look at, but go to Jeremiah chapter number 1, Jeremiah chapter number 1. And I have to confess, I feel, I feel this way so often. I told somebody recently, I think it was yesterday, and I've said it before, I honestly feel like that, that I'm a man with a pea-sized brain and a watermelon task. I don't know if you ever feel that way. I feel very insufficient. I feel very unworthy for what God has called me to do in my life. And I, I don't say that out of any false humility. I, I, I feel like I live there. And just like Jeremiah in chapter 1, verse number 6, Then said I, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child. I, God, you're asking me to do something that I'm not able to do. But what did the Lord say in verse number 7? But the Lord said unto me, Say not, I am a child, for thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee, and whatsoever I command thee, that thou shalt speak. God had an understanding of who Jeremiah was, or certainly what Jeremiah was to become, that Jeremiah's own self-awareness was a hindrance. All of these men 
Their self-awareness was a hindrance to what God wanted to do in their life. And oftentimes, our humility is not really humility. Sometimes we're just pulling the chain, pulling the string, and just saying what we've heard other people say. We know we're supposed to be humble. We're no, we know we're not supposed to be arrogant and proud. And some people wear their humility so much, they want to make sure that everybody knows how humble they are, that really it's not even true humility. Sometimes it can be a lack of our trust or willingness to depend on God or to allow ourselves to be dependent upon God. The next thing I want to talk to you about regarding this subject of healthy self-awareness is I'd like to talk to you just for a few moments here on walls, veneers, and compartments. Every single one of us deal with self-awareness, I wouldn't say unique, but we all have different personalities and we all have different circumstances we've been through that all affect our self-awareness. One of the greatest causes of an unhealthy self-awareness is the fear of making ourselves vulnerable. None of us like to be vulnerable. We have a fear of that. We have a fear of people really knowing and seeing us who we really are. We have our own fears, our own insecurities, and sometimes we put on this front and we want everybody to think that we're okay and we, we want to be respected and we want people to esteem us in a certain way and yet in our private thoughts and in our moments, we know so much about it. And listen, people respond to that different ways. Some people you know, they crawl in a tank and then other people, they put on this veneer of pride and arrogance and we try to perform and impress people when in their private dark moments, they're scared like a little child just like the rest of us. We put up walls between us and others, Invisible walls, barriers. Yeah, I'm only going to let you in just so far. Why? Because I'm afraid that I'll make myself vulnerable. The men were talking yesterday, and I believe that as Christians, true Christian fellowship is to draw strength from one another by being transparent. That does not mean that we confess our sins to one another. By the way, James chapter 5 says, confess your faults one to another that ye may be healed. It does not say confess your sins. Our sins should be confessed privately between us and God. Unless perchance our sin was a trespass against a human being, then yeah, we need to make it right with that human being. But we don't publish it. We don't go to a human priest or a religious organization to let our sins be known. We have a great high priest, as we saw yesterday in our study, or excuse me, last week in our study, that we can go directly to Jesus Christ. What a blessing and what a joy that that is. And when we go to Jesus Christ, by the way, we can take those invisible walls down. We might as well because he already knows us. He sees us the way that we really are. So these walls and veneers and these compartments, they happen between us and others. But then even more dangerously, oftentimes we build walls and we put on veneers and we compartmentalize our life between us and us. We kind of try to make a mirror for our life that's kind of like the circus mirror 
where we, we want to see something that is not really, we feel a certain way about ourselves down deep, but we can't face that, and so we, we kind of build a wall between, I guess in a lot of ways, it's like David and the psalmist. Sometimes in the psalms, he would speak to his own soul, and oftentimes when our self-awareness is not healthy, then we end up even hiding from ourselves. I know when I was not right with God that I would try to keep myself busy and occupied, whether it be recreation or, or uh, uh, different objectives and goals, and I just tried to stay busy. I tried to stay around people all of the time. And that was an interesting thing because in my personality, typically I'm a loner. I, I, I like being alone. I, I, sometimes I find that a good thing just to be in solitude. So my personality is one way, but I didn't like being alone with my own thoughts. And so I would try to surround myself with outside uh, influences and stimuli in order to just keep me from facing my own self. But the worst is when we build up those walls between us and God, where we think that we can hide from God. And uh, it's very much, you know, self-awareness, if you think about it, is the first effect of sin. All the way back in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve when they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the first thing that they recognized was that they were naked. Self-awareness, vulnerability. What did they do when God showed up? Adam, where art thou? He said, I heard your voice and I was afraid because I was naked. The first effects of sin was sowing fig leaves, hiding from God, blaming others. All of these are just, this is just humanity. Most of our sins can all be traced back to those factors right there. Hiding from God, sowing fig leaves, blaming others. The result of these walls and veneers and compartments is always some form of pride. Or as I said, compartmentalization. Some people play the blame game. Some people accuse others. Some people make excuses and some people just become recluse and just hide from life and the world, everyone and everything, including God. Walls and veneers and compartments are a sign of an unhealthy self-awareness. The second thing that I want us to look at, uh, actually the third thing I should say, is I'd like to talk about trusting God's awareness and acceptance. I think it's important that we understand that the two go together when we think about God. God's awareness and God's acceptance. Why? Because Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I'll tell you who can know it. Our Creator, our God can know who we really are. We don't always know our heart. Our self-awareness is faulty and it's flawed, but God's awareness of who we are is never faulty and it's never flawed. I'm so thankful, and I don't have this for the screen uh, this morning, but in the book of Hebrews, there's a statement that is so valuable. It says that 
the Lord will never leave us or forsake us. And those two concepts go together as well. You know, if it'd be one thing for the Lord to leave us. I'm glad he's not going to leave us. But what if he didn't leave us, but he didn't accept us? If he didn't accept us, then we'd probably want him to leave us, wouldn't we? Because just the presence of God would be torture. And that's totally contrary to what God desires. The reason that he created us to begin with is so that he could redeem us and we could have fellowship with him. So oftentimes what's going on in our minds and in our hearts, our self-awareness, it hinders us from having a healthy, right relationship with God. The greatest blessing of the gospel is not how it changes our eternal destination. Hey, I'm glad I'm not going to hell and I'm glad I'm not going to heaven, but that is not the greatest blessing of the gospel. The greatest blessing of the gospel is that it affects our relationship with God. We can know that he knows us, and yet we can trust that he accepts us. Ephesians says that when we get born again, we are now accepted in the beloved. What is the beloved? That's the highest form of acceptance that can be given. I'm so glad that based on what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary, I can now know and trust that I have God's acceptance. He doesn't always approve of everything that I do, but thank God he accepts me for who I am. The sooner that we see our identity through his eyes, the sooner we can be empowered to live the way that he has purposed us to live. Now in weeks to come, here in a couple weeks, I'm going to start maybe three weeks of lessons. We're going to take a look at some of the titles that God gives us in his word. Some titles that are pretty foreign to our concept. You know, sometimes people say, well, what are you? And some people say, well, I'm an electrician, or I'm a pastor, or uh, I'm a barber. A lot of times when we think about who we are, we think about what we do. But God looks at us completely different And there are some things in the Bible that God says about us that we need to accept and trust that if that's the way God sees me, that's the way I need to see me. Human nature says this, God, make me what I'm supposed to be and I will do what you want me to do. But God says this, God says, do what I want you to do and I'll make you what you ought to be. We find an example of that in Mark 1.17 where the Lord said to his disciples, he said unto, uh, unto them, come ye after me, in other words, follow me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. God said, I want you to go and reach men, fish for men. They, some of them knew how to fish for fish, but fishing for men is a lot different. And I have found after 38 years of ministry, it's not a very easy task. It is human nature to find identity in what we do. It is God's nature to identify us by what he has done for us. That is so different. 
Ephesians 4.13 says, Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Self-awareness is so vital that we have a healthy biblical that we somehow, by the grace of God, learn how to see ourselves the way that God sees us. You know, the whole concept of repentance, getting right with God, you're never going to get right with God until you see yourself the way that he sees you. And before we get saved, before we accept Christ, God sees us as sinners, wicked sinners, alienated from him, at enmity with him. We are God's enemies by nature. And until we see that, there is no hope for us to be reconciled. And so I want to conclude with just a couple thoughts here. First of all, an unhealthy self-awareness is at the center of all the problems that we face in the church today. I read about it in Revelation chapter 3, verse number 17. The church of Laodicea had a very unhealthy self-awareness. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. You know, the Lord said that not just to spew disapproval, but rather to show them that, look, your self-awareness is wrong, and until you see yourself the way that you really are, you're never going to repent. And this is the passage, by the way, where the Lord is standing at the door knocking. I'm not against using that as a soul-winning passage. Look, if you're not saved, the Holy Spirit, if he's speaking to you, then yeah, truly Jesus is knocking at the door of your heart, wanting in. But that's not what the passage means. It's talking about the church who thinks that, hey, we got this, God. We don't really need your presence. I got news for you, Temple Baptist Church. We desperately need the presence of God. I look at this congregation and I see some wonderful people. I see some people that are faithful Christians. And I think about our legacy and the founders of this church and the leaders and the faithfulness and the stability and the testimony. I think of so many different positive things. And wow, that's encouraging. I think about the different, we've got a great master club program, great children's ministry, and we've got some faithful, our widow's ministry. What a blessing and what a joy that ministries are going very, very well, but that's not what makes this a, a church of any value. If this church has any value, it's the presence of Jesus Christ. We need him. We need him desperately. Oh, we need him way more than we even recognize. Turn to Philippians chapter number three with me. Philippians chapter number three. The Apostle Paul had this concept of self-awareness. He had it as figured out as anybody that we can read about. And he describes this in Philippians chapter number 3. Verse number 4, he says, Though I might also have confidence in the flesh... If any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, an Hebrew of Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is of the law, blameless. 
if you're a, if you're a Jew in Israel, that's a pedigree that's hard to beat. I mean, he had it all as far as his Jewish countrymen, the religious people of his day. And oftentimes we think that, oh, the, you know, people see me as this great religious person, so I must be, I must be okay. That is so deceptive. Numbers are no guarantee. Man's approval, man's applause is absolutely no guarantee. Paul goes on to say in verse 7, but what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ, yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. You talk about a revolution in his self-awareness. He's lived most of his life with this false self-awareness that, hey, I'm about as good as it gets religiously. But he couldn't deny the fact that the Lord was pricking at his heart. He couldn't deny the fact that there when Stephen was stoned and he's holding everybody's, all of the rock throwers' coats, while they're brutally murdering a man of God who's preaching Jesus Christ to them, and he's applauding them. Yeah, Stephen deserves it. But the whole time, God is speaking to his heart and trying to show him that Jesus Christ, the one that he was persecuting, was who he said he was, the Son of God, the Savior, the Messiah. There on the road to Damascus, the Lord said to the Apostle Paul, he said, it's hard for you to kick against the pricks. It's hard. The Holy Spirit was just pricking at his heart and Paul is resisting and he's kicking and so many people do that today. Why? Because it's hard to acknowledge that, hey, I've been wrong. My self-awareness has been messed up. My background, the way that I've reacted to myself and the world around me is not the right way. And Paul finally, God got through to him and he faced that. In verse number nine, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Let me tell you something. If you've ever been born again, it's a powerful thing. You cannot deny the changes that God has made in your life. It's not a name it, claim it. It's not a test that you can answer with all the right questions. You know when God has done a work in your heart. That's called regeneration. You may have all the right answers, but if you've never been born again, you need to get, be born again. Verse 11, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend, that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Hey, self-awareness right there. Paul says, I'm following after. I haven't figured myself out. I haven't figured things out, but I'm following someone who has me figured out. I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Verse 13, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark 
for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if in any, anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. You'll know it if you're listening. If you're willing to stay humble and say, God, I want to see myself the way that I really am. If you're willing to face it and understand that, hey, God already sees you that way. You don't have to build up a wall. You don't have to hide. You don't have to compartmentalize God. Be one person at church, one person at school. You can be perfect. You can be entire. God wants us to act like his children and feel like his children and behave like his children each and every hour and moment of our life. Verse 16, nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. Would you like to have an accurate and healthy self-awareness? Well, there's some principles right here that'll help us all. First of all, don't look inward. Don't look inward. Proverbs 18.2 says, A fool hath no delight in understanding, but that his heart may discover itself. Don't look inward. Don't look backward. Don't look backward. Paul says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. There are so many things in our past that end up defining our self-awareness. It may be failures. It may be successes. It may be hurts and bumps and bruises and all of those things. Those are not the things that are supposed to define who we are. Don't look backward. The last thing that I want to say is look upward and look forward. Psalm 62, verse number five, the psalmist says, My soul, wait thou only upon God, for my expectation is from Him. My expectation. Self-awareness and expectation go hand in hand. It's the way we see ourselves, what we expect us to be, what we expect others to be, what we expect out of life. The psalmist says, my expectation is from him. Let us take a lesson from the Apostle Paul and not look inward, not look backward, but let's look upward and forward. Let's look to Jesus Christ. He's the one that knows us, understands us, and yet in spite of it all, he still loves us. Isn't that a blessing? What a joy it is to have a Savior that will never leave us or forsake us. He understands everything about us. If you want to have a healthy self-awareness, when it's all whatever we think, whatever we feel, we need to learn how to trust that God knows me better than I know myself. I'm going to go with him. I'm going to trust him. If I can just learn to see myself the way that he sees me, then maybe I'll act the way that he wants me to act.